Good evening. Biden signs the infrastructure bill. Beto O'Rourke runs for governor of Texas, the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, and the controversy over the NYPD's anti-crime unit. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Monday, November 15, 2021. President Joe Biden signed his hard-fought $1 trillion infrastructure deal into law Monday before a bipartisan celebratory crowd on the White House lawn, declaring that the new infusion of cash, roads, bridges, ports, and more is going to make life change for the better for the American people. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Bravo. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The world has changed, and we have to be ready. My fellow Americans today, I want you to know we hear you and we see you. As I look out in this crowd today, I see Democrats and Republicans, national leaders, local leaders, all elected officials, labor leaders, business leaders, and most of all, I see fellow Americans. I see America. Let's remember this day. Let's remember we can't come together. Most of all, let's remember what we've got done for the American people when we do come together. I truly believe that 50 years from now, historians are going to look back at this moment and say, that's the moment America began to win the competition of the 21st century. And President Biden earlier today Prospects are tougher for further bipartisan uh, bipartisanship ahead of the 2022 midterm elections as Biden pivots back to more difficult negotiations over his broader $1.85 trillion social spending package. Biden will get outside of Washington to sell the plan more broadly in coming days. Steve Bannon appeared before a judge on Monday to face criminal contempt charges for defying a subpoena from Congress's January 6th committee. He then declared combatively outside court that he was taking on the Biden regime in fighting the charges. Bannon didn't enter a plea and is due back in court on Thursday for the next phase of what could be the first high-level trial in connection with January's insurrection at the United States Capitol. What we're doing is taking on the illegitimate Biden regime. Don't ever let this noise up here take you off message. This is going to be the misdemeanor from hell for Merrick Garland, Nancy Pelosi, and Joe Biden. Joe Biden ordered Merrick Garland to prosecute me from the White House lawn when he got off Marine One. And we're going to do, we're going to go on the offense. We're tired of playing defense. We're going to go on the offense on this and stand by. Bannon's lawyer, David Schoen, says the former White House advisor has the right to declare executive privilege, despite the fact that he no longer works for the White House. There is nothing criminal about any conduct that occurred in this case. And when we respond to Merrick Garland, we say, apply the, apply the law equally. They don't have, who else did they prosecute for invoking executive privilege in a criminal prosecution? Read the Department of Justice Office of Legal Counsel letters. It's unconstitutional, according to their according to their own opinions from some real luminaries, including, by the way, read the Office of Legal Counsel opinion by Eric Holder for the Obama administration, the Fast and the Furious case. This is unheard of to force a, a, a person to uh, violate the invocation of executive privilege. David Schoen, that's Steve Bannon's lawyer. The 67-year-old Bannon surrendered earlier in the day to FBI agents. Federal Magistrate Judge Robin Merriweather released him without bail but required him to check in weekly with court officials and ordered him to surrender his passport. 
If convicted, Bannon faces a minimum of 30 days and a maximum of one year behind bars on each count. Meanwhile, outside the courthouse, a large inflatable rat made to look like Republican former President Donald Trump was on the sidewalk as the crowd waited for Bannon to leave. Some of the crowd shouted expletives at him and called him a traitor, and one man paraded around with a sign that read, Clowns are not above the law. And Democrat Beto O'Rourke is running for governor of Texas, pursuing a blue breakthrough in America's biggest red state after his star-making U.S. Senate campaign in 2018 put him closer than anyone else in decades. I know it's going to take all of us to do the really big things that the people of Texas expect us to be able to accomplish and to get past the very extremist, divisive, small leadership of, of Governor Abbott. The, the voters and the votes are there. We've just got to make sure that we're reaching out and, and listening to and connecting with those who can decide the outcome of this election. It's, it's not going to be easy, um, but, but it is possible. And, and, I, and I do believe very strongly from listening to the people of this state that they're very unhappy with the direction that Greg Abbott has taken Texas in. He's, he's produced a very small vision for this big state. And we want to get back to doing the big things again. O'Rourke's announcement today kicks off a third run for office in as many election cycles. He burst into the 2020 Democratic presidential primary as a party phenomenon, but dropped out just eight months later as money and fanfare dried up. Texas has not elected a Democratic governor since Ann Richards in 1990 and freshly gerrymandered political maps signed into law by Abbott. And he's the present governor, Greg Abbott, in October, bolster Republican standing in booming suburban districts that have been drifting away from the party. That could mean fewer competitive races and lower turnout. And Kyle Rittenhouse provoked bloodshed in the streets of Kenosha by bringing a semi-automatic rifle to a protest and menacing others. And when the shooting stopped, he walked off like a hero in a Western, a prosecutor said in closing arguments Monday in Rittenhouse's murder trial. Rittenhouse's lawyer countered that the shooting started after the young man was ambushed by a crazy person that night and feared his gun was going to be wrestled away and used to kill him. Defense attorney Mark Richards said Rittenhouse acted in self-defense. But in summation, uh, prosecutor, um, the prosecutor had this to say about the rationale for why uh, it's just uh, beyond the pale that Rittenhouse would walk free. Pretty imposing, and it has some deterrence value. But Jason Lakowski, Dominic Black, and Ryan Balch all said they never actually intended to use their guns. So why is it there? The defendant was wearing a sling that night. He purchased that sling at Jelinski's that afternoon. The purpose of the sling was so the gun couldn't be taken away, wouldn't fall off, he wouldn't lose possession of it. It was designed to help him retain possession of that gun. And he loaded it with 30 rounds, the full magazine, capable of killing 30 people or more. Why do you need 30 rounds? a full metal jacket armor to protect a building. So how do we evaluate the defendant's performance as a medic that night? Well, on one hand, uh, he wrapped up an ankle and I think maybe helped somebody who got a cut on their hand. Yay. On the other hand, he killed two people, blew off Gage Grosskreutz's arm, and put two more lives in jeopardy. So, you know, when we balance your role as a medic that night, I don't give you any credit. He showed no remorse for his victims. 
never tried to help anybody that he hurt. And even on the witness stand, when he testified on Wednesday, he broke down crying about himself, not about anybody that he hurt that night. No remorse, no concern for anyone else. For him to call himself a medic is an insult to anyone like Gage Grosskreutz, who spent hundreds of hours training and working hard to become an EMT. It's an insult. He's out after a citywide curfew. He's intentionally and knowingly entering into a dangerous situation, and he expects it because he brings along his AR-15 and some body armor. So don't tell me you didn't know. He brings along no non-lethal means of defense, which means his only option is to kill. Now, to put this in perspective, at this time here in our community, there were people who were scared. There were people who were worried about themselves, their homes, their families, their business. That's understandable. But this is different. There are also people out there who are exercising their First Amendment right to assemble and to have free speech because of whatever they believed in. And they have that right too. But that's not what we're talking about. The curfew, the riots, the arson, the looting that we'd seen on those prior nights, roadblocks set up around downtown, closed exits on the interstates, all of this was sending the message to reasonable people, go away. Don't come down here. But the defendant's down there, he says, because he wants you to believe he's protecting car source. Even though he had no actual ties or genuine concern for this building, you have this caravan of people from West Bend, Ryan Balch, Jason Lakowski, Joanne Fiedler, coming down from some other community having no idea what's going on here at Kenosha, having no idea what businesses are, having never dealt with car source before, just injecting themselves into this situation. The defendant, he thinks, oh, well, now I'm junior policeman. I can go run around stopping crime. But I asked him and I asked some other witnesses, if the police are there on the scene and the protesters are gone, go home. Why are you still here? shouldn't have been here in the first place but why are you still sticking around and interestingly enough you know one of the questions i've always had in the back of my mind is what's the end game here when is this crew going to be done and decide that, that it's time to leave well right after the defendant kills joseph rose mom kills anthony huber and comes back they all flee like rats off a sinking ship ladies and gentlemen there is no doubt in this case that the defendant committed these crimes. He committed a first-degree reckless homicide against Joseph Rosenbaum. He put Richie McGinnis's life in jeopardy. He put Jump Kick Man's life in jeopardy. He intended to kill Anthony Huber, and he attempted to kill Gage Grosskreutz. All of those elements are true. And that is uh, some excerpts from the prosecution today. Um, making their case for convicting Kyle Rittenhouse. On August 31st, 2020, more than a year ago, former President Donald Trump blamed protesters who he had said had violently attacked 
the shooting suspect Kyle Rittenhouse while speaking. He said that while speaking at a White House press briefing in Washington, D.C. He's trying to get away from them, I guess, it looks like. And he fell. And then they very violently attacked him. And it was something that we're looking at right now, and it's under investigation. But uh, I, I guess he was in very big trouble. He would have been, I, he probably would have been killed, but it's under, it's under investigation. Do you think private citizens should be taking guns? I'd like to see law enforcement take care of everything. I think everything should be taken care of law enforcement. That's President Trump speaking more than a year ago uh, after the shooting of three men, two of whom were killed by Kyle Rittenhouse, who's uh, currently uh, on trial in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Anthony Beckford is the leader of Black Lives Matter in Brooklyn. He says what's occurring in Kenosha raises questions about who can own and use a gun and under what circumstances. What's going on in America is what's been happening in America since since the inception of America. Injustice. And it continues a blatant biased court system. If we look at the behavior of the judge, how every move that is made, it seems like the judge is trying to jeopardize the case. You know, even watching today, wordplay is very influential and very dangerous. When we look at the fake tears of remorse and so like that, one of the big issues is the fact of me, and this is me coming as a Marine Corps veteran. There's no way that any civilian should ever have any type of weapon like an AR-15 or, or an M-16 or M-4 or anything of that sort. Not at all. There should be no way that a child should be able to carry these type of weapons. You're going to hear people say, oh, it's our Second Amendment or right. This shows you the difference of America. If a black person picks up arms, that's when there's a collar of, we need gun reform now, and it happens right away. Remember, gun control happened in the United States originally because the Black Panther Party stormed the capital, one of the capitals and said, no, you need to respect our Second Amendment rights and our civil rights and our human rights. Then all of a sudden, the NRA worked with legislators and all of a sudden there was gun control. And many of the cities that were predominantly black received standards and protocols to where the people who would approve your license would be the police force. Even this trial here and the many instances in the past is showing truly what America really has been. And really what it's continued to be, no matter who we play in office, the only way that we're going to change any of this is us changing our communities and the dynamics of our communities ourselves, but then also us holding these elected feet to the fire and make sure our demands are answered. Do you think that Colin House is going to be acquitted or convicted? I'm praying that he's convicted, but if he's acquitted, I put on my status early today. Wisconsin, you already know. What about the character of the protesters? They will always demonize the protesters. The system never believes that protesters are justified in their anger. They don't believe protesters are justified in their behavior. But if you didn't create injustice, if you didn't create bigotry, racism, bias, there would be no need for protests. If you listen to the people and adhere to the demands of the people, there'd be no need to the protest. But then when you see that they're demonizing and trying to criminalize protesters, that just means the system is trying to get over it, trying to get around it. They're creating a narrative to where they'll get people who just want to live their life with their head in the sand, simple and without any type of knowledge or acknowledgement of the real issues that exist. They're appeasing them and gaining support from them. And all this is is a, is a back and forth. And something's going to have to give. When it came to George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, something did give. In the next instance, we don't know what will happen in this country because people are getting sick and tired. And we're not just talking about black and brown people, but we're also talking about white allies as well. What do you think is going to happen with Rittenhouse if he's found not guilty? 
nationwide protests. It's going to be nationwide protests. Anthony Beckford is the leader of Black Lives Matter in Brooklyn. In related news, on Friday, New York BLM co-founder Hank Newsom made a fiery speech saying there might be riots if Mayor-elect Eric Adams goes ahead with plans to reinstate the anti-crime units that were responsible for thousands of stop-and-frisk encounters with police. He said there will be riots in New York. Adams responded by directly criticizing Newsom. They know who I am. I ran on a very clear message. My city will not be unsafe. And that is what we're going to do. Clear plan, putting in place a plain clothes anti-gun unit that will happen. And the city is going to be safe. I said it before and I'm going to continue to say it. That is what I promised to New Yorkers and that is what I'm going to deliver. In New York, every day there's a new person coming out saying things. Those 13 people are not representative of the Black Lives Matter movement. You have great leaders. Who have, who have pushed for this in the city, and we're going to get there. We're going to have the justice we deserve and the safety we need. And that was uh, on Friday, uh, Mayor-elect Eric Adams. Today, the leader of Black Lives Matter in Brooklyn, Anthony Beckford, says a lot of the heat is just political rhetoric. It's all politics. At the end of the day, the way I look at it, it is all politics. Everybody has their rhetoric and so forth. After I saw what happened with the meeting in regards to Hawk and the mayor-elect, I texted mayor-elect. I was like, hey, we need to talk. And we had a conversation right after. What it was in regards to was the fact of that we cannot go backwards. We cannot do things the way that it was working for the system before, but was not working for our communities. And I even offered to sit down and talk with him and talk with his advisors and so forth, and even place people within that administration to actually help when it comes to the social justice issues, when it comes to the gun violence, over like that, because we know what works best for our community. You cannot just legislate away at things in our community. You have to put the people that are boots on the ground, that are in the community every day, saving the lives of the people every day, mentoring, turning around lives. Those are the ones who are stakeholders and are the ones that actually are incredible messengers. And that's what's being invested into. We need initiative taken, and that's what we're prepared to do. And whether we do that with the support of the administration or not, we're going to just continue doing what we have to do. And I'm going to continue talking, continue negotiating, continue trying to make things happen on a legislative level. But in the meantime, you know, we'll continue being in the streets, being in the community, solving the issues. And Beckford adds restoring the anti-crime units of the NYPD is a non-starter. I don't even call them anti-crime because literally they do not solve crimes. We actually call them the bully patrol because we've seen them out here harassing youth. Racially profiling them, stalking them, harassing them, instigating situations with them. I've seen them just drive up on people who are literally riding their bikes just to harass them as well, too. We've seen the trauma, and I've told him before, and you know, my stance still stays the same, the fact that we do not approve of them coming back, especially since we know that they do not have any type of accountability or any type of oversight to them. They're like wild cowboys let out on the loose and allowed to do whatever they want. That right there is very dangerous, especially when it comes to black and brown communities. No matter who who requests them, we have to look at the impact of the black and brown communities and the trauma that black and brown communities have basically been enduring for years because of them. The mayor-elect says this is about the uh, guns, crimes that are, you know, you had a one-year-old kid who was shot and things like that, that these crimes are happening because the police aren't out there doing this kind of thing. The police are out there. The fact that you have over 30,000 officers out there who literally are doing nothing, you go on any subway platform, you go on any corner, they're literally in their cars or they're in the booths 
playing games, looking on Tinder, you know, doing all type, doing all type of ridiculous crap. Okay, and we have to be very serious. If we're putting out six billion dollars of a budget, and corporations are putting eleven billion dollars on top of that to the NYPD, and all of this is a reactive force, that does not work at all. They show up after the fact. What we need is actual community policing, which is the community policing itself. A clear example of that, and I've brought this up to many elected officials, is what myself and many others do within Black Lives Matter Brooklyn, specifically, and within organizations that are in the community with us. We've gotten guns off the street. We stopped gang gang retaliations. I've been speaking about the Iron Pipeline to my face has been blue for the past eight to ten years. I've told them where to look and how to crack down on the Iron Pipeline because people out here can't afford guns. There's no manufacturer of guns in these streets. So where are they coming from? They're coming from the Midwest. There needs to be something done to stop that because those guns are not going to the more affluent communities. Those guns are purposely being brought to our community for our community to have a mindset of self-destruction. Another initial problem that is causing this is the lack of jobs, the lack of mentorship programs, the cutting of the funding for programs to provide these jobs and, and these um uh, mentorship programs, the lack of education in the educational system, the lack of finances and housing, and the overrun impoverished conditions that we have in our community. These are conditions that create these type of situations. And in no way can we ever compare them to the more fluent communities where 15-year-old kids are walking around with AR-15 shooting up schools. That's a situation of privilege. Our situation is a situation of poverty. And you have to solve poverty in order to solve everything else. And Anthony Beckford is the leader of Brooklyn, the Brooklyn chapter of Black Lives Matter. And finally, New York City is confronting mounting legal pressure over its plan to rebuild Manhattan's East River Park as a flood barrier, including one that's already resulted in a temporary pause to construction more than half a year after work was set to get underway. On Friday, a nonprofit sued the city for allegedly not including enough minority and women-owned businesses in the construction contract. A week before that, a judge in a separate case issued a temporary restraining order to pause preliminary work, removing plans from preparing construction areas. A third suit brought by a contractor that bid for the job could set the project back even further if successful. The city prevailed in both ongoing lawsuits before they were appealed, though. Nearly a second, nearly a decade after Hurricane Sandy drove debilitating storm surges into the area, the effort to raise the existing park and build a new version of it on top of eight feet of landfill and a seawall has not begun in earnest. The city has said construction will now go through the end of 2026. While lawsuits over major developments are common, tenant leaders of the public housing complexes that run along the park's length say these cases are threatening lives and the risk of extreme storms due to climate change, although members of East River Action, including many who do live in those same housing projects, have said that the this uh, the loss of the trees, the loss of the recreational area, the loss of the park, the uh, impossibility of really trusting the city as to how long it would take to finish the project, all have really conspired against their support of the plan. At a Tuesday news conference, Mayor Bill de Blasio challenged the administration's uh, – the uh, opposition to the uh, administration's signature climate resilience project as par for a course in a litigious city. He defended the park reconstruction as fair and that it amounted to the best thing to protect the community after the devastation we saw from Sandy. The mayor said, I don't know if there's any way to stop the rash of lawsuits that become – 
so common in current New York public life. But he said, I do know this is a good project. I'm confident it will move forward and will win the day in court ultimately, ultimately, seemingly, definitely long after his uh, reign as mayor has ended. And that's some of the news for Monday, November, no, pardon me, that's some of the news for Monday, November 15th, 2021. The news is produced with Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening. 